0: Had the opportunity to travel to India? If you've ever gone to India in that part of the world, um, Hindus believe that there are literally millions of gods. In fact, it's actually deemed the, the land of three million gods. When you go to India, if you were into that place and you talk to people who are Hindu, they're very open to having conversation with you about Jesus and about God. You know why? Because they just embrace gods, any kind of god. Hey, yeah, we can add that. I mean, we've already got 2.9 you know, million. Why don't we just add another one, right? That's the way the Hindus... I've sat on airplanes with Hindus before. I've had this discussion, and they just embrace all gods. Don't want to leave anybody out, okay? And so this is the way that, that Hindus think about the world is that there's just many, many gods, okay? I don't mean to be this... I'm not, I'm not up here to make fun of that. I'm just telling you that's what they believe, okay? So we believe there is only one God. And... The second thing I want you to hear this morning that describes what the Trinity is, is not only that there's one God who exists eternally, but he exists as three distinct, three distinct persons. Three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, first off, not the way that we think of the idea of person. Uh, We don't mean he's a man. The Bible tells us he's not a man. Uh, nobody wants to get to heaven and realize it's like the Wizard of Oz. There's a man behind the curtain, right? That's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Uh, the truth is, is, God is not a man, but he is a person in the sense, three distinct persons, in the sense that we can relate with him, he communicates, interacts, feel has, has feelings, emotions, there's anger. It talks about in the Bible that he gets get angry can get offended. So person in that way. Does that make sense? You with me still? Okay, so... God is three distinct persons. Now let me show you where in the Bible we get this idea. Because maybe you're thinking, okay, well where does that come from? Again, remember the word Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere. That was a man-made term. But in the very beginning of the Bible, the creation story. If you haven't read Genesis 1 lately, I encourage you to do that. Where the whole thing starts. And it says, in the beginning what? God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the spirit hovered over the waters. And then later in the same chapter 1, verse 25, God has now created um, birds and animals and, and the seas and mountains and trees and all the stuff that we see today. He's created all that. And at the end, the, thir- the last thing that he creates is what? Man. And he says this in verse 25. It's very peculiar if you listen in. He says, let us make man in our own image so who's God talking to weren't any people around he says let us make man in our image what is he saying he's saying that he is already in community as the Godhead we understand this more when we look at John chapter 1 verse 1 Uh, actually verse 3 would be the most clear on this but John chapter 1 verse 1 says in the beginning was the word W is capitalized meaning Jesus it's referring to Jesus the word was with God the word was God And then in verse 3, it says that all things that were made were made by him. Right? So what that tells us is that in the creation story, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there. All three, God, but all three distinct in persons. Another great place to look is in the story of um, Mary, who was a virgin, who gave birth to Jesus. I mean, this story of the Bible is, is crazy, isn't it? Think about that. Unless God is who he says he is, and unless this is actually true, which we believe that it is. So in the the Bible, you'll find in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, a simple little statement that reminds us again that there's three distinct persons in the Trinity. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before in this story. I could give you a lot of other examples, but this was a great one. The angel replied to her, "'The Holy Spirit will come upon you.'" And the power of the Most High, the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? All three, one verse in the New Testament. Another great spot that we see this, and I'll give this as a final, just an example, you can go back and read it later, is the baptism of Jesus. Anybody ever read the story of the baptism of Jesus? Again, if you're not churched or if you haven't been in church in a while, haven't read your Bible, maybe you haven't heard this story. But in this story, Jesus actually got baptized. He didn't have to be baptized. He chose to be baptized to fulfill the law. Fulfill all righteousness is what he actually says in the text. And so he gets baptized. And in Matthew chapter 3, we get this story where John the Baptist baptizes him. And this is in verse 16. It says in Matthew chapter 3, After Jesus was baptized... He went up immediately from the water. So he comes up out of the water. The heavens suddenly opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. And there a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved Son. I t- take delight in him. In the same scene, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You with me? Point being this. If we are going to say we are Christian, If we are going to say that we are actually followers of Jesus who believe the Bible, then we need to understand there is one God and that that God exists in three persons. Okay? That is what we believe as Christians. They're distinct. They're all different. Um, There's an opposing belief to this. And that's the idea of what we would call modalism. I know I'm using a lot of language today we don't typically use modalism, but it's just this idea that really what happens is is that God just shows up in three different forms. That's just really, to put it down on, on the bottom shelf, God throws, shows up in three different forms. He shows up first as the Father, then he shows up as the, as the Holy Spirit and the Son, and you get to see all three, but he's all, he's, it's not three distinct persons, it's just God, um, right? And that it's all the Father, but just in these different forms. In fact, um, there are some, some ideologies that surround this that we could, we could push on. But this is seen in several different, even, quote, Christian groups that, that don't believe that they were distinct persons. And so without naming names or getting into all that, I'll just tell you, you need to listen to hear, do they believe, as a Christian, if they say that they're a Christian, that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that all three are distinct. And as I said, even in the story of the baptism of Jesus you see all three on the scene at the same time. So it's hard to make that case, right? That it just shows up at one time and different persons, different, um, different modes. All right, so third thing here, hang with me. We're gonna talk about why this is all so important. Third thing about the Trinity. Not only are, is there one God who eternally exists as three persons, but we, who are, they are all fully and equally God. They're all fully and equally God. Now, when we read the Bible, um, you will find very little, if any, historically heresies, like false teachings, about God being, uh, the uh, the Father being God. In fact, when most people read their Bible, they pick it up and they see the word God, they just assume that's the Father, right? But when it gets to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it goes whack. It just gets a little crazy, okay? And I'll explain to you some of that in, in brief today, but I want you to understand that when we say that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that means God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. Right? God the the Father is God, and we pretty much all just say, yes, we get that. God the Son is God. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the people of Colossae, and he writes this incredible passage about who Jesus is and what he's done. And in Colossians chapter 2, the second chapter of that book, he says this. He says that all the fullness, I'll I'll just read it out loud for you, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him. What is he saying in the text? Jesus is God. Do you know why they killed Jesus? Because he claimed he was God. He said he was God. They didn't kill him just because he did good things they didn't kill him just because they were mad at him they claimed that he, he claimed that he was god and they said that's blasphemous and you're going to die so either jesus was crazy right he was lying or was actually true that's what c.s lewis would say so i'm the point this morning is that jesus is god and we embrace him as god we see him as god in fact one of his disciples who struggled with doubt anybody ever struggle with doubt his disciples saw him. They heard him teach for three years. He goes to the cross. He dies on that cross. He's put into an empty tomb. He comes out of that grave. And his disciples are struggling. They don't really know what's going to happen next. And Jesus shows up. He walks through a wall into a room. <laughs> That'd be a little freaky, huh? And they're there in this room. And he walks in. He's among them. And Thomas, one of the disciples, he is still doubting. That's what we call it, doubting Thomas. And he feels of Jesus' Pierced hands, his pierced wrists, and he feels of his side and he falls down and he says something. He says, You are my Lord and my God. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Now, there is an opposing belief to this. First, you need to know that Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God in the way that we think of Jesus as God. Okay? So again, let me me make sure you hear my heart here. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I'm not trying to stand up here and just criticize people unduly. But I want you to understand that in the Bible, we see that Jesus is God. And as I said last week, it also says in the Bible we should not add to God's word. But the teaching of Mormonism actually teaches that Jesus was a product of God having a relationship with a human being and that then he worked his way to God-like status and that if you work your way, you can actually become a God too, right? So I don't know if you know that, but I want to make sure you hear that because just because it says Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doesn't mean that they believe in the same Jesus we believe in, okay? And so as a church, our elders, our staff, our pastors, we want to protect the body to make sure that they understand what the Bible actually teaches and we have to go to the Bible, and so they don't believe that Jesus is God in the way that we believe Jesus is God. And I want us to, to be clear on that this morning. Jesus is God. Um, in fact, even Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God in that same way. If you talk to them, if you press on it, you'll find out that that's not what they really believe. And they, even, they don't even believe that Jesus actually died for our sin. That he was replaced in the last minute. Okay? So the point being is this, there are some, some groups of people who are out there who say they're Christian, they'll even use that term Christian, but they're not believing the same Jesus that we believe in the Bible. Clear? Okay. I love you enough to tell you the truth, and I love them enough that when they come to my house, I tell them the truth. Okay? I don't just ignore them. I say, like, well, show me in the Bible where you're talking about. And because they happen to know 80 verses, it seems like they know their Bible pretty well. But when you get beyond the bigger thing and you see that they actually don't know their Bible that well, they just know a few verses they've been taught to teach you, you'll find that they don't believe in the same Jesus we believe in. There's a difference. And I love them enough to speak that truth and I love you enough to make sure that you know the truth. All right? So, Jesus is God. Last one, though, before I get carried away there. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Again, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. He's a helper, but not God. And I want you to get this. Um, Acts chapter 5 is the clearest spot where I could just show you really quickly. Acts chapter 5. And it's a really interesting story uh, because what's happening is in the early church, they were literally selling all their stuff and bringing the proceeds from what they were selling to take care of the needs of everybody. Isn't that a pretty cool scene? I mean, people were literally selling their stuff and they would bring their money. So can can you imagine what would would happen today if we just went and sold our houses, our cars, stuff, and we brought it to the leadership and we laid it down and we said, okay, whatever you need to do to meet everybody else's needs. Part of the reason that was happening then is because there was such incredible persecution, these Christians were being stripped of everything they had. And so they were literally living very communally together saying, hey, whatever's mine, whatever I have, it's yours. If you need it, it's yours. And they trusted the leadership so much to let the the leadership distribute that stuff so one story that we find there is Ananias and Sapphira. They're a couple. They have apparently had some, a decent amount of stuff. They sell it, and then they bring it to the apostles, and they say to the apostles, we have brought you all the proceeds from what we sold. But the truth is, they didn't bring all the proceeds. They held some of it back. And so when you pick up the story in chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, Then Peter said, one of the apostles, Peter, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Man, that's intense, right? That's what Judas did. It says the same thing right before Judas betrayed Jesus. Why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. What's he saying? The Holy Spirit is God. So I don't think I need to belabor this point, but I want to simply remind you that God is one, he is in three distinct persons, and all three of those persons are fully and equally God. Okay? Got it? Let me give you just a few other things that are just awesome thoughts this morning about about who God is and what he's done. Because the Bible teaches us a lot more about God than just that he's Trinity. I'm only going to give you a handful. First is this, God is all-present. He's everywhere at all time he doesn't inhabit stuff he's not he doesn't inhabit rocks and trees we don't we're not we're not new age okay that's what they believe we don't believe that god we that we worship uh inanimate objects okay we worship a god who is all places at all times because he's not constrained by the same constraints that you and i have wherever our physical body is that's where we're at right that's not god because he is spirit and he's everywhere so he's all present In fact, the scripture says that in Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where he reminds us that whether we go up to the heavens, he's there. Whether we go to the lowest of lows, he's there. He's everywhere. I don't know if that brings comfort or it freaks you out, but he's there, right? Because the next one's even crazier when you think about it. He's not only there, but he knows everything. He's all-knowing. 1 John 3, 20 reminds us God knows everything. Hebrews 4 says it this way, there is nothing hidden from the eyes of God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's a scary thought. But it says that God knows everything in the Bible. I could give you other passages, but that's just one of the clearest ones. God is not only all present and all knowing, he is all powerful. He is more powerful than anything. There is nothing greater than our God. Are you with me? There is nothing more powerful, more awesome more capable of doing whatever his holy will is, he can do that. He is all powerful. He is a powerful God. The only thing that restrains him, in essence right now, from completely wiping out humanity because of our evilness and our rejection and our rebellion to him is himself. He puts that restraint and he's given us time to come to him and to, to fall in his grace before he comes to make all things right and to fix all the problems that we have made, the mess that we have made of his creation. He's also good. Man, I'm so glad he's good. Jesus even says it this way. He says, there is no one good but God. He is good. I'm glad that he's all-powerful, but I'm also glad that he's good without all that power. Wouldn't that be scary if he was like, not good, but he was all-powerful, <laughs> you know? But he says that he's all-powerful, but he's good. He uses his power for good to bless us in ways that we don't deserve he's unchanging malachi 3 verse 6 he never changes he's the same yesterday today and forever he is always the same he's not this way one day and the next day this way i know some people look at the bible and they see the old testament and they look at it and they say oh man godly seems so angry in the old testament and in the new testament he seems so nice like what happened no he didn't change He didn't change. In fact, I just read that story from Acts 5. Think about that. That's after Jesus comes that Ananias and Sapphira lie and they die on the spot. We didn't read the rest of that story, but that's what happens. What I'm telling you is that God doesn't change, but he has poured out his wrath on his son Jesus so that we today can be free. He's unchanging. And here's another thing. He's knowable. He's knowable. Not fully, but personally. We can know God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the rich man boast in his wealth, right, his riches. Let not, not the strong man boast in his strength, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he knows and understands me that I am the Lord. If you want to boast about anything in this life, boast that you know God. And that he is a good, loving, and gracious and merciful God, that you don't deserve anything he's given you, but he's so good. Boast about that. Boast about how strong he is. Boast about how great he is. Paul the apostle, he says, boast if I'm gonna boast about anything, I'm gonna boast about the cross of Jesus. Galatians 6 14. So we boast about God because we know without him we are nothing. Without God, this church is nothing. Without me, without God, I am I have nothing. But he is good, he is noble here's the thing. Some people, I know they wrestle the fact that they don't understand God fully and so therefore because they can't understand him, they don't think they can believe in him. Let me just give you some reminders this morning. When we are going through difficulty and pain and hardship in our life, we need a God who is greater than all that. When we are going through a time of loss for what to do, we don't know which way is up. We need wisdom. We need a God who knows all things. When we feel isolated and alone, we need a God who is always near. When we see that everything around us is changing and it's crumbling beneath our feet, we need a God who is always the same, who is always faithful and true, who does not change. When we feel as though there is nothing in this life that satisfies our soul, when we need, we need in that moment a God who is completely satisfying in his goodness. We don't need a God we can completely understand. We need a God we can worship. We need a God who's bigger than us and greater than us and beyond our comprehension this morning. I've given Chris Tallman a hard time. At one point, I was at a retreat right after he wrote the song, Indescribable. And I laughed. I was like, dude, you said indescribable and then you described him in the song. But here's the thing, Listen. This morning, our God is so much greater than we can even begin to imagine. He's so much better than you can even begin to understand, comprehend. Our brains are just not even remotely capable of beginning to understand the beauty and the awesomeness and the greatness of our God. So maybe the question you're you're asking this morning as we wrap up is why does it matter if I believe in the Trinity? Let me just give you two reasons. I can give you a lot, but let me give you two reasons. Why does it matter that, that we as a church say we believe in the Trinity? This, this is a closed handed issue for us, as in you can't say you're a Christian and not believe this, okay? Why does that matter? Because maybe you're sitting here going, I came to church hoping for some encouragement today, and I hear all this stuff, and it's like, man, this is a lot of information. I don't, what do I do with this? Let me, I'm glad you asked that question. Number one, our whole understanding of love is based on the fact that God is Trinity. Our whole insight on what it means to be people who love and have a capacity to be loved and to love others is based on who God is. It is First John 4, 8 tells us this very plainly. God is love. That's what it says. And here's what's so cool about that. John 17, where Jesus is praying for his people, He says in John 17 that before the foundations of the world were laid, that God was, and he was love. Here's the idea. God didn't need human beings so that he had someone to be an object for his love. He already was love. In fact, if you understand anything about Islam and you read the Quran, the interesting thing about that is they'll talk about God as a merciful God, But they cannot make the claim that he is love. You know why? Because they don't see him as Trinity. They don't see him as in community with himself, that he is completely loving in and of himself. But we know because God the Father loves the Son, God the Son loves the Spirit, and it's just a mutual love and appreciation and enjoyment of one another in community that we can say with confidence today that God is love. He's love. He loves us. And we love because he first loved us. It's the only way we know this. is because that's who God is. You cannot take away his love and him still be God. He is love. But the second reason is this. The second reason why the Trinity matters this morning, for those of you that are saying, Look, why, is this, why is this such a big deal? Because our salvation depends on it. Our salvation depends on it. You're like, well, I thought that was all about Jesus. I thought Jesus did all that. Let me remind you this morning, let me remind myself that all of the people, all the persons of the Trinity, not people, but persons of the Trinity, were involved in our salvation. You say, well, where do you get that, Nick? Well, let me just take you to one passage as we close out this morning. Ephesians chapter one. I'm just going to read three verses for you. We'll add a fourth. Verse 11 says this, We have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. That's the Father. So that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah, there's Jesus, might bring praise to his glory. And when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promise of what? The Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So the Trinity was not only involved in our creation, the Trinity is involved in our redemption. God the Father chose us, Jesus the Son, he paid the price for us, and the Holy Spirit seals us. Isn't that an awesome thought this morning? So if you say you don't believe in the Trinity, you cannot say that you truly understand salvation. Because salvation belongs to God, and he is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and he is Holy Spirit. But the awesome truth, again, about that is that we will spend our entire life trying to figure that out and never fully engage it, it's never fully be able to do that. And yet today, if there's a five-year-old in this room, a four-year-old in this room, they can begin to understand salvation, even at a very young age. Because our God wants us to know him, but he also wants us to worship him. My question, as we close out this morning, is this: uh, Do you know God? He wants you to know Him. He knows you. He knows everything. He knows everything about you. In fact, Scripture says He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knew you before you were even born. He knew you when you were being put together in your mama's tummy. He knew you, this is what the Scripture teaches us. And He formed you, and He formed you specifically for a relationship with Him, because He's love. He's good. And if you want to find life, you're not gonna find it in doing religious activity and just going to church and just being a good person. You're not gonna find it there because that's just gonna frustrate you. (laughs) You're gonna find life when you understand that the creator God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loves you, has a purpose and a plan for you. And when you surrender to him, when you put him at the center of your life, everything else starts to make sense. Everything else starts to work. Marriage is possible because God Parenting is possible. I need to hear that this morning. Parenting is possible because of God. Life is possible because of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are beyond our capacity to fully understand. And thank you that we can't just put you in this nice, neat little package and present you to everybody else in this nice, neat little box because that's what we want to do a lot of times in our humanness. But we don't need you in a box. We need you to be God. We need to see you as God. The God that's in charge. The God that's in control. The God that we worship and bow down to. And I know that the moment, the moment, God, that I start messing with who you are, I start changing that, it's just because I want to be God. I want to be the one that's in charge. I want to be the one that's in control. So I thank you that your word tells us who you are. Thank you that your word reminds us that this will protect us if we will get under its authority. And I pray this morning that we can truly appreciate the reality of your enormity, your awesomeness, your beauty, your glory, your majesty. And I just pray if there's anyone in this place who has never received the gift that you give us of salvation in in the personal work of Jesus, I pray this morning that they would... Just recognize that it's available for anyone who will receive it by faith. I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we close out this morning. At the end of our service, we do a couple things. We, One, we offer communion to anyone who wants to partake. Uh, communion, Lord's Supper, some people might call it, is just a way for us to reflect on Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. So there's some crackers on these tables. or six tables stationed around the room, and there's cracker that we we see that represents christ's body that was broken for us because the bible teaches us that he was his body was broken and then and then also reminds us that the cup is there to say that his blood was shed for us and so as we take that on sunday mornings and other times when we're together as a community of faith we remind each other we remind ourselves that jesus christ is our sacrifice that he loves us that he gave his life for us so that we can be forgiven and be with him forever So we encourage you to do that as you go to those tables. Take a piece of cracker, dip it in the cup, and just eat that and to remember who Christ is and what he's done. Also, during this time, we have our pastors and elders just available at the front. It's not to make people feel uncomfortable. It's to invite people that if you want prayer, if you need prayer, uh, we're no superhumans up here. We have access to God just like you have access to God through prayer. But we want to pray for you. And we believe that God's given us that role to pray for you. And so if you want to pray, pray with us. If you want someone to pray for you, we're available, pastors and elders here at the front. And let me just say that in the same, the same breath, that if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you've never put your hope in Jesus, um, we would love to talk to you about that. If you've never received the gift of salvation, it's a, it's a gift. You don't have to work for it, it's a gift. We'd love to talk to you about that. These guys are going to sing. Then we're going to give you a few instructions and then we're going to close out with a final song of celebration. But as we do that, you just do whatever you feel led to do in that and let's respond to this great and awesome God that we worship. So Would you guys stand with us this morning?